Welcome today to Trinity Sermons. We are so happy that you've decided to join us for our sermon here at Trinity Church Streetsville. Our reading for today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And we are now on our final sermon of the series that we've been calling, What Makes Us Happy? Today, for our sermon, we are pleased to have Michael Messenger, President of World Vision Canada, with us to explore poverty and how this relates to happiness. We hope you enjoy the sermon today, and God bless. Good morning. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they prosecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Trinity. It's great to be with you. Uh, Today is the last sermon of this amazing preaching series that Rob has been leading us through since September. I know it says October 29th, but actually today is the last day. I need to tell you, there is a lot of pressure to see if a series all about being happy actually has a happy ending. So the question is going to be, will you feel like it's a happily ever after moment at the end of today? Well, frankly, that may be a bit tricky when we look at the unusual ingredients for the recipe of happiness that Jesus sets out, Jesus shared, and what that means for each of us as citizens of this upside-down kingdom. But before we get started, I wonder if you remember the TV series from the mid-2000s called Mythbusters. Uh, It was definitely a favorite of my kids. In fact, at the height of its uh, popularity, The hosts, Jamie and Adam, you see on the screen there, actually did a live show in Toronto at the Sony Center. We took the kids down and we had a chance to experience that. The idea of the show was simple. The hosts and their team would look at various urban legends or common myths to figure out if they are true or not. You know, critically important topics like, is it actually easy to shoot fish in a barrel? Uh, It's not, by the way. Uh, Are yawns contagious? Uh, They are. You get the idea. I want to share a statement that I hear all the time, and we can decide maybe if it's confirmed or busted, as they would do in the the show. Uh, You may know that I lead World Vision Canada, and I travel around the world to some pretty tough places. And one of the statements that I hear all the time is something like this. Despite their lack of things, poor people just seem so happy. So we want to give the Mythbusters treatment to this potential myth today. The poor are happier than the wealthy. Is that true? 
Uh, This is a common perspective, by the way, shared by some really thoughtful, smart people, including people from this very platform. Take a look. Or let's go a little further. Some of you, like me, you've been to maybe a developing country, and you've been to those countries, and you you see people who do not have enough what. They need more stuff. They need more resources. They need more education. They need more support. And, And that's all true. But when you come back, one of the things you're often struck with is, man, they still seemed happy. Rob, the internet is forever, my friend. (laughs) But the question is, you know, in in the work that I do and going around the world and I I see the work, I I look at places and in a little while I'll show a video from my time in northern Ethiopia. In those places, children and families are suffering. They're suffering from lack of food, lack of clean water, they're in conflict, they're in shelter. None of those things are an ingredient for happiness. So I would say, actually, as a starting point, that from my perspective, this myth is, as the show would say, busted. But what's really fascinating is that even in these tough places, where poverty is the theme, we actually do see glimpses of happiness. And we're going to explore, what does that look like? Is it it about an attitude? Is it something behind the scenes? What we can say is the poor are not happy because they are poor. There's something more to it. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about poverty and its link to happiness using Jesus' own words in the amazing piece of scripture that Annie read for us. We may have to do a little myth-busting along the way. But here's today's big idea. When we embrace our spiritual poverty, that's when we are at the starting line of a journey of experiencing the true happiness that comes from Jesus. And then, as citizens of God's upside-down kingdom, we get to follow our king to share his peace, his love, his justice, his hope. And that includes tackling all kinds of poverty that others may face. Well, the scripture we read this morning from Matthew is the beginning of what we can think of as maybe the most important sermon ever preached. Uh, This is at the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry. You can read the whole thing in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, It's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus preached it on a hillside near the Lake of Galilee. Now, the sermon starts where we picked it up this morning, where Jesus has settled in, he sat down to teach, and he begins with a beautiful section that I would say is half poetry and half manifesto. Jesus starts with eight phrases that point to the character and circumstances of Jesus and his followers. And I'm going to just read a portion of those Again, they're on the screen here. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the poor, pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I recently uh, had the opportunity to consider these a bit more. And, And you know what? These are familiar words for those of us who have been around the church for a long time. You may be more familiar with these same words, but instead of happy are, you might think of blessed are. You familiar with that? 
And sometimes, actually, this section of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes, which really just means the blesseds. So, but actually, the Greek in most versions of the gospel can also be translated as happy. Now, when we're talking about happy in this context, just to kind of set the stage for us, Jesus isn't just reflecting how we should be feeling in a particular moment. Blessed or happy, it's meant to capture a description of the highest type of well-being that a human can experience in relationship with God. We are indeed happy when we enjoy God's approval and the fullness of life that can flow from him. In fact, frankly, happy or blessed may be even too small a word here. These short statements altogether point to what Jesus is saying will make us happy, but the values that he lists are pretty countercultural. I want to show you a sign that I came across a little while ago outside of a coffee shop. Uh, Recipe for happiness, smiles, sharing, a little bit of positivity, good humor, self-esteem, simplicity, goodwill, easygoing, and one packet of life-loving. Doesn't that sound delightful? But imagine if Jesus was the barista or the owner of the coffee shop. It looks like it may be something more like this. Recipe for happiness, poverty, grief, hunger, thirst, persecution, and a sprinkling of virtues that may seem impossible to achieve. Let's not let our familiarity with, with these verses uh, help us, you know, make us lose sight of just how unusual this list is. And imagine hearing these for the first time. Jesus is not saying, blessed are the powerful, the self-reliant, the strong, the rich, the virtuous, the important. Rather, they are statements right from God's mouth about how he sees us, hopeless, grieving, hungry, humble, thirsty. And you might ask, do you call this happy? But hang on, because with this different approach, these lines are actually Jesus' powerful recipe for a full and faithful Christian life in God's kingdom, where we define reality in such a way that the world's usual order of things is turned completely upside down. Now, each one of these beatitudes or happy ingredients, I might call them today, is worthy of a sermon. But we're going to do a deep dive in the very first one in verse 3, where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to start with this one because it is linked to this idea of poverty that we talked about right from the outset. But this happy ingredient, many scholars say, is first for a reason. These, these lists, these, these virtues, these, this list in, in the Beatitudes is put there in order. Because if we can't find the happiness in the first one, we can't just skip to the next. Both the happy ingredient and its result, the kingdom of heaven, are needed for everything else to flow. Well, what what does poor in spirit actually mean? Let's take a few minutes and just unpack that a bit. The word in Greek for poor actually means being in the position of a beggar. That's the language that's there. Beggars rely completely on someone else or something else other than themselves. It's a pretty hopeless situation. In fact, there are some translations of the Bible that actually, instead of saying poor in spirit, translate it to hopeless. I can't think help but think that poor in spirit doesn't exactly play very well in lots of our society's expectations, right? Being in, in business or maybe on the sports field or politics, in setting like these, coming across, across being needy or helpless or hopeless, dependent and desperate, 
is about the last thing usually we want the world to see or we want to be. But Jesus seems to be saying here that until we are, the kingdom of heaven isn't available to us. What should we take from this? Well, first, being poor in spirit means that we have to understand and embrace the idea that there is nothing that we can do to earn or learn our way into God's kingdom. Nothing that we can do. Jesus is driving home a point here that is key to the gospel story for everyone. God's happiness is only available to those of us who admit that we are dependent and desperate for God. Like a beggar, we have to be completely reliant on God to meet and fill all of our needs. And in this unexpected contradiction, happiness begins when we are honest about our condition, that condition, that we're all spiritually poor. To be poor in spirit is to cry out to God for mercy and being willing to say, God, I've got nothing. I've got nothing without you. On our own, we don't have enough faith. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough understanding. When we're poor in spirit, we want to have hope, but it seems like all we have is fear. We want to do the right thing, but we consistently fail. The poor in spirit are needy, and they know it. They need God. We need God. Second, I think it is important for us to think about the nature of what that poverty actually is. I mean, when you think about poor in spirit, is this Jesus talking about how pious a person is? Or is it related to something like just a person with no money? Scholars actually think it may be a little bit of both. Uh, In fact, in Luke chapter 6, there's a version of this same sermon that's retold by by Luke. And when he gives this first one, he kind of skips the whole in spirit part. He just says, blessed are the poor, which is interesting. But what's true, I would suggest, is that God values the poor and hopeless in all situations. I do want to take a couple of minutes and explore this, because this may be a twist, certainly something that was new to me as I went through this. In some ways, it comes right back to the myth that we were exploring in the beginning. There's hopeless or poverty in situations of inward spiritual poverty or outward material poverty. And of course, if you look across the Bible in so many references, you see that God holds the poor, materially poor, and and spiritually poor close to his heart. He's present with the hopeless. There's so many places. I mean, one example, Psalm 138, verse 6, God is close to the lowly or close to those who lack influence, but he's far from the self-sufficient and the proud. Professor Bryant Myers, in his book, Walking with the Poor, makes some really important observations about poverty. He starts by saying that poverty, we should understand, is complex. It's multifaceted, and there's nothing simple about it. And yet, even though it is complex, there are two fundamental realities that I think are important for us. And remember, this is about poverty in all of its forms. First, he says that the nature of poverty is fundamentally relationship, uh, relational, and it means the presence of broken relationships. We're poor when we don't have relationships that work, relationships that are unjust, that don't last, that aren't harmonious or enjoyable. Those could be relationships with each other, with God, with creation. 
It's the lack of the true peace that God offers. What the Bible often talks about is shalom, which is not just the absence of conflict, but the existence of right relationships. I'm multi-carrying lots here. But second, and this is important, so it's about broken relationships, but Professor Myers goes on to say that poverty needs to be understood as fundamentally spiritual. So no matter what kind of poverty, it's poverty of spirit. We can ask, what causes the injustice in our relationships, in our world? What divides us? Why do we abuse creation? What stands between us and God? What leads to brokenness and hurt? What is it that works against true peace? Each one of these questions has to be understood as spiritual questions. Now, why am I going down this path? Why is this important? Well, I think it makes the link between the idea of being poor in spirit to both those who are materially poor or materially rich or non-poor. It immediately breaks down this idea of us and them or that there's just spiritual poverty, materially poverty. Any place that poverty shows up, there is spiritual brokenness at its core. And it's key for us in our dependent posture to see this connection. When we're spiritually impoverished, not only does this need to, uh, uh, lead to a need for us to rely on God, but also it makes a profound connection to everyone, no matter their circumstance. We all face the desperate need of hopeless poverty. We all need to let the good news of Jesus help us find our way out of sin, deception, and lies, and point us to God. As uh, a pastor, Brian Wilkinson, Wilkinson has said, being poor in spirit means I don't simply come to the end of my rope, I come to the end of myself. But here's the great news. When we recognize that we're poor in spirit, Jesus invites us down an unexpected path of happiness to experience God's peace, joy, love, life, and what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. And that takes us to the second part of our verse. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it says, the the poor in spirit shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. What is this kingdom? Well, we got to start, of course, with the clear fact that if there's a kingdom, there's a king. Uh, And our king is Jesus. Jesus is the one that we follow, that we worship, that we imitate, we learn from. But his kingdom is not a political entity or a physical place. It's not limited in time or space. Essentially, we should think of the kingdom of heaven as a place wherever God rules. Where God rules, the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus himself often talked about the kingdom of heaven. There are so many examples of where he tries to get around this idea of by, about using metaphor, by using metaphors. Um, just a couple of examples. In, in, in Matthew, there's, he, he calls it a hidden treasure. Or he uses this idea of a pearl of great price which highlights the idea that this kingdom that he's talking about is priceless. It's something for which we should be willing to give up everything, including ourselves, to be part, to possess. And the kingdom, of course, is both now and yet to come. As followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to enter into the grace and abundance that the kingdom provides. We can experience God's transformative power because of the victory over sin and death here today. But it's also a kingdom that still looks toward the future. We're still living in a broken world. The events of the past couple of weeks have certainly shown us that if we didn't need to be reminded. 
So the ultimate realization of God's kingdom is still to come. So we know that the kingdom is meant to be, but here's the other element. When we recognize that we're poor in spirit and we're dependent on God, we are offered to participate as citizens of that kingdom, to be part of Jesus' ongoing life and ministry here in this world. And we get to align ourselves with the values, perspectives, and mission of our king. I pretty much carry my passport with me all the time. I just never know exactly when I'm going to get, have to get onto a, an airplane. And this is a symbol of the fact that I am a citizen of, it may not be a kingdom, but we certainly have a king. In fact, it says, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Canada requests in the name of His Majesty the King, all those who are they concern, allow me safe passage. That's what it says in the big beginning of this. By carrying this, it, it signals that I'm connected to something here in Canada, its laws, its values, things that we need to hold dear. There's a, there, are, there are rights that go with this and also responsibilities. But as followers of Jesus then, with citizenship in this kingdom, our mission then is to think about what are God's values, Jesus' values. How do we advance this kingdom on earth? Reflecting those values of love and grace and mercy, especially in a broken world. I mean, Jesus told us to do this. We'll be having this prayer in just a few minutes, the key moment. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we are more than just merely citizens, I want to suggest as well. We enjoy the benefits of citizenship, but we also get to be ambassadors for that kingdom. We should maybe be carrying one of those red diplomatic passports, really, when we think about the kingdom. Because as his ambassadors, God invites us, he wants us to bring hope and happiness to others. So how do we do that work? Well, we've, as we've explored a little bit today, it starts by understanding our own poverty. Busting down some of those myths of the, the difference between material or spiritual poverty. Recognizing that no matter our circumstances, only God can meet our needs. Through Jesus and the Spirit, our needs aren't only, only met, but God actually gives us more than we need. He gives us abundance and overflow, and out of that overflow, we're then given the opportunity to serve others and share with others. A little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to talk about how we should be salt and light in the world, if we want to follow him. Influencing the world for good, spreading the message of God's love and salvation. And through our actions, our words, our deeds, we can help live out the values of God's kingdom on earth today and invite others to experience God's amazing gift. And to care for others who are not just spiritually poor, but to care for those in line with the heart of the king that we serve including those who lack justice, lack the basic necessities of life. They face material need. To help people who may be marginalized or brokenhearted. To share the fullness of the good news of the gospel. My organization at World Vision is certainly fueled by the idea of the kingdom of God. Our calling starts by trying to follow that, be citizens and ambassadors of that kingdom. To help meet the needs, specifically our slice of kingdom mission is to help meet the needs of children and families and communities who are facing poverty and injustice around the world. It's a calling that is grounded in our understanding that it's only through Jesus that true healing and hope can ultimately be brought. And we're certainly grateful for the ongoing partnership of Trinity in, in Honduras with World Vision, where you're walking with us and with communities. 
I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I had the opportunity to travel to one of the most challenging parts of the world, which is northern Ethiopia, Tigray. Uh, if you want to look for a place in the world, think of it as almost a cafeteria, a buffet of crisis. Conflict, climate, economic uncertainty, terrible violence that's ongoing, displacement. World Vision, it's only been since last November that there's been even any peace in this area of the world allowing us to respond. I had a chance to record a short video for our team at World Vision. We have a day of prayer every year, recognizing that we have to be dependent on God in our ministry. Our whole World Vision world stops and prays for a full day. The theme this year was strength and courage in Christ. And I had a chance to reflect on that. This was a message for our team, but I think it's relevant to the conversation that we have today. But what does it mean to reach out and seek happiness even in challenging contexts? Now let's take a look. I'm here in an internally displaced people's camp in Shire in Tigray, Ethiopia. 10,000 people live here. They fled from conflict and violence. Uh, they've been living here for as many as three years, separate from their families, their friends, their communities and education. But in the midst of all of this, we're here in what is a, an oasis of hope and encouragement and excitement because we're in a child-friendly space. This is a place where children can come together to play, to heal together. We've talked about home, we've drawn, we've played. Uh, it's been just really encouraging. And we just hope that through this moment where kids can escape the reality of the hardship of the day-to-day -day life living in this camp, away from their friends and family, uh, they can experience togetherness, hope, and healing. This is a special place for little Hadesh. We met him and his family earlier today, nine of them living in a, in a space about 10 feet by 10 feet here in this camp. I know from talking to his family the horrendous violence that they've experienced and that, that he has witnessed, things that no child should see. And so to see him with a smile on his face, drawing, expressing himself, it's just so encouraging. Because we know that's the beginning of the healing that's necessary and the hope that's going to cause the situation for him to, to be in a place where when peace comes, he and his family can come back, hopefully resume their education, resume their lives, and he can live up to his full potential. But we also met Hadesh's sister's baby daughter. And one of the things that I think is so, was so meaningful for me this morning is her name in the local language translates to glimpse. And I like to think that in this moment, of, as these kids come together, as we experience uh, the potential here, that it's a glimpse of hope. As we gather for our day of prayer, of course, we want to remember what we're praying for. You know, our vision statement says, our vision for every child, life in all its fullness, our prayer for every heart, the will to make it so. As I think about the every child there, that includes these children in this child-friendly space in an IDP camp in remote Ethiopia. These children have experienced all of the things that we talk about, COVID, climate, of course, conflict most recently, the cost of, of food, the lack and scarcity of so much. And so today we also think about those other three C's that we want to ensure for these kids. Courage, care, and compassion. Let's pray that God will intervene miraculously and bring peace to this region, including every child here, that they may experience a life that is free of need, but one that is full of promise. Uh, that's our commitment. That's our calling. It's our staff here in World Vision Ethiopia, in Africa, around the world, and in Canada too. 
We pray that we will experience God's strength and courage in Christ. A world that is free of need and full of promise. That kind of describes the kingdom of God. And each one of us in this room has something deeply in common with those families that we saw in the video in Ethiopia, with Hadesh and Little Glimpse. Poverty, we're experiencing spiritual and material. We are all desperate for God. We're called to love each other, to help each other, and to serve each other's needs. So even as we think about whether we've busted their myth or not, I'm not sure we needed to, to think about that. Because going back to our big idea, the first steps in Jesus' recipe for happiness leads to amazing transformation in our own lives, in the lives of others as we serve. We need to be desperate for God, to reverse our position, our thinking of who we are, knowing that he loves us, but that we are called to be totally dependent on him. And then as part of the kingdom, as citizens and ambassadors, we have a chance to help others to wrestle with their own poverty of spirit and move to a place of joy. But we don't do this alone. Jesus is with us, the author and finisher of our faith. I guess my challenge or question or invitation to you today is, are you ready to be ambassadors for this kingdom? Will you join me in recognizing our poverty of spirit and invite God in to fill it? And will you let Jesus work through you here together and on our own to help that kingdom come and transform our world? As we close, I've asked Libby to come up to lead us in a worship song during which we can reflect on our dependence of God, on God. I've talked about this upside-down kingdom, uh, and we're going to do the same in this song. Uh, this, actually was, this approach was first shared by the late Rick Tobias, who was at the Young Street Mission in a challenging talk some years ago. And you're going to be familiar with the song that we sing. It talks about being thankful and showing gratitude to God. But instead of the usual words, we're going to reverse them. Pay attention to the chorus, where we are going together to put ourselves, even in worship, in a posture of dependence on God, letting go and inviting God into our need. The words are going to say this, let the rich say, I am poor. Let the strong say, I am weak. Because those are the lyrics that are sung by people who are poor in spirit. I wondered at the outset whether we'd actually have a happy ending to this sermon on happiness. And I'm not sure about that. But my challenge is, in our dependence on God, let's see this message maybe less of a happy ending and more of a happy beginning of something amazing with Jesus and his kingdom. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope that you enjoyed what you heard today. If you enjoyed the message, please take some time to rate and review our podcast. We would really appreciate it. Today's sermon was taken from the October 22nd, 2023 service at Trinity Church Streetsville in Mississauga, Ontario.